the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> oh, episode number 73, 74, take two. We were about, what, 10 minutes into our recording of this episode. Now, internet shat itself. So we're trying again. Thanks, England. Thanks, England. Actually, internet's been terrible <laughs> in England. So Let, Let's not call them, let's not say thanks, England. Let's say thanks, Britain. Why are we Because apparently that? calling English people British is a bit offensive. Hmm, I didn't know that, actually, until Joe, Joe told us. Yeah. He said, don't call me British, call me English. Hmm, and I've been calling them British pubs. And he's like, they're English, but I'm like, well. Yeah, they don't want to be associated with other people within the land of the Brits. Strange. So we're, what, um, a month into our trip in the UK so far? A mm-hmm. month in, something like that. We moved to London from Northamptonshire like five days ago. We're both wearing our beanies for those watching on YouTube because it is freezing. We're just embracing the English uh, look, you know. Mm. It's definitely warm enough in this house not to be wearing this beanie. I'm not going to lie. My ears are pretty warm. Okay. But... I had beanie hair <laughs> and I didn't want to embarrass myself on the podcast for those that are viewing on YouTube. You know what else you have, Dean? An he's, ugly face. Well, I was going to say he's eight weeks out of comp. Your cheeks have sunken in and you have a bulldog face. This lighting is definitely... Um, it's not really showing at this lighting. No, it's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's good to me. Mm. It's right in my face. It's, it's hiding the shadows. <laughs> if, if it was up here... Well, people can't hear. People that listen can't see that. But above your head, above my head, <laughs> you would see that my face is becoming quite concave. Yes, well, as opposed to the plump convex cheeks that yes. those have in the off season. Mm, indeed. Hmm. Eight weeks is going to go slow. I think it's. Um, I don't know if anybody listening has ever travelled with somebody on a very strict diet, which is actually the topic of today's podcast. So what you're trying to say is I'm an inspiration for today's podcast. (laughs) I suppose you are. (laughs) We're going to talk about uh, extreme diets, the good, the bad, the risks, where they're appropriate, where they're not appropriate, why so many people choose them, even though they're quite shitty, and why Dean has chosen them, and why you Mm. probably shouldn't. Mm. Um, Anyways, do you have any other personal updates you would like to give the peeps before we actually dig into it, Dean? No, I think I'm killing this prep though, just quietly. Do you? The fact that I can laugh about it just tells you I've still got personality, which this guy, you know, what makes you think you're killing the prep? Oh, just narcissism. <laughs> no, no, it's the best I've felt. Um, contrary to your, not the best you felt in comparison to off season. The best you felt. Eight no, I actually out. feel better now than I did in the peak of the off season, unquestionably. Really, peak of the off season was so fatiguing. Mm. always distended, didn't like food, didn't enjoy walking, didn't want to go anywhere. Because you were too heavy to Constantly in pain, out of breath. Like, okay. it, it was it was shit. Look, I probably should put this into context. That is not how you, people listening should feel most of the time. Dean was trying to gain as much muscle as he could. It was an extreme diet in, in the other direction. Yeah. You know, I was trying to, I was literally going to the extreme. Everything was progressive, you know. My training, my food, my everything. Yeah. So more training, more food, more subs. Yeah. Whereas if somebody's just trying to progress, generally speaking, they should feel better for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be sure. periods of fatigue, but yeah. Anyway. But anyways, let's start by describing or defining extreme diets before we go into why they're so heavily promoted, why people choose them, mm. the risks involved in them. So Dean, what is an extreme diet, sir? So the general overview is severe restriction. Mm-hmm. The specifics would be severe restriction of either the calories consumed. Okay. 
or the types of foods that you can choose to eat from. Okay. That yeah. would be my my approach. Yeah, and, and perhaps we could use our maintenance calories, our TDEE, um, as the benchmark yeah. of what extreme is. So for me, it's 60 kilos. If I'm to eat 1,200 calories, maybe not too extreme because I'm maintaining my weight on 1,800, 2,000, right? Mm. But if Dean eats 1,200 calories, that is extreme because this dude maintains on what, 4,500? Yeah, Sorry, 4,000, 5,000 calories? Yeah, 4,000, 4,500. So extreme, if we're talking about calories, will be dependent on what you maintain your weight on. So maybe 50, half of that would be considered extreme if you're only eating For sure. 50%. Yeah. Um, maybe I mean, 40 I'm, as well. I would say anything that's non-sustainable. Yeah. You know, for an elongated period of time, what's that? Arbitrarily, I want to throw a number at it and say, somewhere that you can't do anything greater than six to eight weeks, mm. you know, because like a 20% deficit, fairly manageable. Maybe we shouldn't use the word sustainable rather than manageable. Uh, 30 is getting hard. 40, very difficult, you know, 50, 40 and 50, true. we're talking like two to four week blocks, mm. you know? So as, as the severity of the deficit increases, the time that you can spend in that deficit decreases and by virtue of those two parameters, we're going to say that's extreme. Yeah, we actually like we're going to shit on extreme diets a little bit. Um, but I should mention that we're not necessarily against them all the time because Dean's doing an extreme diet right now. And we'll touch on that later. We have put clients in severe deficits in the past, but we only do it for very short periods of time. And then we diet break. It's called intermittent dieting, mm. which is um, in the contrast to continuous dieting. So there's definitely a time and place, and maybe we'll touch a bit more on that later. Um, yeah, so still Broderick Chavez's term, right tool, right job. Yeah, okay. You know. Yeah. Um, but then you also mentioned, Dean, it could be extreme in the calorie deficit mm -hmm. and also extreme in the food type. Yeah. Now, obviously, some people will restrict food types for particular reasons. Like maybe vegans. for Vegans, ethical reasons. Uh, religious reasons. Celiacs will remove yeah, actual gluten. digestive reasons. Not that gluten <laughs> is a food reasons. group, but yeah. <laughs> cake is probably a food group. <laughs> yeah. It's a staple. <laughs> it's for me. It's part of the pyramid. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a pyramid, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's actually the pyramid turned on the side. <laughs> yeah. So basically, cake is the food pyramid. It is. Mm -hmm. And there's carrot okay. cake, which is basically a salad. Oh, so, carrot cake. Mm, carrot cake. Yeah. <clears throat> so people can be on extreme diets without actually eating fewer calories and they need to maintain weight. Um, plenty of people eating paleo or keto or, or clean diets. Carnivore. Carnivore. They, well, yeah, they can. Mm. Can eat in a surplus of the calories they need. They can gain body fat while having a very short list of foods that are mm. approved. Um, you which, can still definitely eat in a surplus on carnivore. Oh, it's a like lot of meat. Yeah, but we're talking about awful meats as well. <laughs> and most of them are going to choose high fat cuts because they know they're not going to get them from other things. I'm so freaked out about yeah. meat. Yeah. Mm. Um, and a lot of people who take up these extreme diets who only approve, you know, a short list of foods do it for weight loss reasons and they don't get the weight loss benefits. They've just had to deal with all the sucky consequences, which is the worst possible situation to be in, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine going to all that level of restriction for no return. Oh man. <laughs> that sucks. Anyways, um, why are extreme diets so heavily promoted and so heavily taken up? Mm. Well, they're easy to sell mm -hmm. and they're kind of sexy to sell. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing you and I have discussed in the past for sure is that uh, it almost allows people to remove the ownership. I, did, I was going to say blame, but I'd rather say ownership mm -hmm. on 
their food choices Mm -hmm. of the past to say, hey, like maybe it's not your fault. You know, maybe it's the sugar. Yeah. So you need to cut out all sugar. Or maybe it's the meat become vegan or maybe it's the gluten, do a gluten-free diet. Yeah. Like, Mm. or maybe because you're not eating to your blood type. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It helps people disassociate from like feeling like they've failed at something and it's not their fault. Yeah. And then they have the answer. Mm. And then because an extreme diet by default of being extreme is extreme, it then pretty much sets them up for at least calorie success in the short term, Mm -hmm. which then typically results to some form of physical success, like they lose weight and they're like, oh, you were right. It was the sugar. (laughs) It's like, no, it's now that you're just only eating vegetables and meat. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And when we actually, when we take on a client for success, that is, and we teach them about nutrition, it can be frustrating for the person at first because there's a fair amount to learn in the sense that there's no, it's not like follow these three rules and you're good to go. It's like, here, let me uh, teach you the basics of nutrition. And if you wanted all of these options, you can have them, but they come at this cost. But whereas an extreme diet is like, just replace your dinner with this isogenic shake. It's simple. There's nothing to learn. Um, And and we ask clients to take ownership, which is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose as well, when you become a carnivore or a vegan or you join Isogenics, you feel like you're part of this community who has their own lingo and this shared experience with other people and a shared belief system. And, and that can be really tempting as well. Yeah. Everyone's sort of pandering to each other's bias. Yeah. Which is great because you're just constantly being uplifted and reminded of all the good things you're doing. You know what? You know. Dean and I, before coming home to record this podcast today, were working um, in a cafe in London that was attached to a church. And there was lots of churches coming into the cafe. And I don't know if you noticed, Dean, but everyone was like, hey, I haven't seen you in ages. How are you? See you on Sunday. And it, like, it kind of reminds me of what we're talking about, like that close community of shared beliefs. Mm. And it was, even though we're definitely not religious, it's kind of beautiful. I was like, that's nice. I love that community. And maybe that's what carnivores or vegans or whatever, isogenics people feel, a sense of community. Well, isn't that the whole joke with uh, CrossFitters? How do you know if they're a CrossFitter? What? They'll tell you you're a, they're a CrossFitter. <laughs> They'll tell so you. Like they're proud, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are definitely people that align with foods and food groups and extreme diets that are proud of them. And they want to tell you all about it because they genuinely believe they have the answer. Mm. And they're trying to save you, just like the person that comes knocking on your door asking you to become a part of their religion. Did you They're like, know, I'm here to save you. Have I mentioned that I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness for nearly 10 years? Mm. Have I mentioned that on this podcast? I'm not sure. I don't know. We may have just lost listeners. We may have gained some. Who knows? <laughs> Fun fact about Liz. Not my choice. My, it was forced upon me as a child. We did say raised us. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that is, that is why they're heavily promoted. And they also sort of, you know... Um, like we said in the beginning, they, they provide this opportunity for quick results, which is really exciting for somebody who's felt like they've been failing at the sustainable results for a long time. Yeah. Mm, sometimes people need to get to the point of desperation before they make a change. And if people do get to that point and then they're scrolling Instagram and they see someone promising, I don't know, 10 kilograms weight loss in three weeks, they're probably going to jump on that. Mm. Um, and, and they'll commit. Yeah, and they can, they can, there's a high level of what we call buy-in, which means, I guess, okay, extreme diets can create extremely good results in the short term. Good results on the scales. That I was going to say physical results, yeah. Yeah, good physical results in the very short term. And people who are promoting them get before and after pictures. They get testimonials 
you know, just after that person's lost the weight before they've gained it back. We'll talk about the long-term in a moment. So when somebody's scrolling Instagram, they see this thing, these big promises, they're looking at the before and after pictures. They see all these great testimonials. They have a lot of um, confidence in the program and maybe it's celebrity endorsement or whatever. Um, and so they, they really do commit because they're super confident that this thing is going to work because it's worked for other people before. But and it likely will in the short term. Yeah, and it likely will in the short term. So that's probably why it's so heavily promoted. Um, coaches who promote them can make heaps of money as well because people just because people want quick results. They don't want to learn this system. They just want, you know, two or three rules to follow um, or they just want to buy the pill, buy the shake, whatever you can make a lot of money really quickly. So that's why it's promoted so much. And that's why it's taken up so much. Mm. Mm. They're all kind of alarming reasons. I mean, when you really sit back and think about it. I like to think that most of the coaches promoting it don't understand the harm that they're doing um, instead of just looking at the dollar signs because fuck those guys. Yeah, because but imagine if you went into a car sales group and they said to you straight to your face, I'm going to give you this car it's going to give you the best drive for the next three months and then it's going to shit the bed. Mm-hmm. But it's the best car you'll drive for the next three months. Yeah. How many people will be like, yeah, probably not going to buy I that. I want to have a car for three like, years. Oh, or I can give you a car where you're going to have to learn how to drive it a little bit more, but it's going to last you for years and it's really safe and you'll feel great in it. Yeah. You'd be like, huh, ooh, I want the fast one. You know? <laughs> Some people will still be going for the fast car. I like that analogy. But the reality is, is that we should probably go for the sedan. Oh, know? it's good. Okay, maybe we should quickly jump to what the risks, because clearly by the way we're talking here, you can see that there are some risks um, involved. Mm. Why do we not love extreme diets for everyone? Major concern for me is the lack of sustainability. Okay, because there's such heavy restrictions, people can't engage with those restrictions for as long as they want to keep their results. Yeah, well, the goal, like the, the thing with an extreme diet is like they're always associated with this language of lose x weight in x weeks Mm -hmm. it's never changed life (laughs) or it's never you know lose some weight and maintain it's never like there's never this like long form forecast of success it's always short sharp extremely exciting sexy yeah you know um whereas like we really we, we don't want to have to teach you to lose weight again no that's like literally failure on a coach's behalf. What we're trying to do with the Better Bodies program that we've recently created and launched is creating sustainable transformations. And that means teaching the participants various different skills, mindset and motivation, hunger and cravings management, mm. habit change and body image management, as well as nutrition, as well as about supplements mm. and recovery. You know, like it's important that we learn all of these things because we want people to be able to maintain what they've worked so hard for mm. um, and then yeah on top of that what we're talking nutrient deficiencies more than likely from an extreme approach especially well, yeah. from a food restriction uh, perspective food type mm-hmm. even calories because you know the fewer calories you have the fewer opportunity you have to bring, to, to bring in different foods we could argue that you know a macronutrient deficit so protein carbs and fats doesn't necessarily have to mean a micronutrient deficit You can still eat an abundance of fruits and vegetables. But I mean, if you're on the no sugar kick and you do the no fruit, we're going to start to struggle. Mm. So nutrient deficiencies is definitely a big concern with uh, extreme dieting approaches. Well, I mean, if somebody's calories are extremely low, call it 50% of what they're able to eat to maintain weight, we we want protein to still be sufficient. And after protein's taken care of, 
you know, daily fruits and veg, there's not a lot of calories left over um, for other fibrous no. foods, for good quality fats. So yeah, there, there likely is to be deficiencies, even if someone is quote unquote eating really well. Yeah. And then we're, well, even and I've, like I have, I have clients that have extremely well-balanced nutrient dense and diverse diets, mm-hmm. and there's still some supplementation required to fill the voids, like yeah. a vitamin D, for example, yeah. or Which most people typically in Western diets, like calcium is another one or whatever it may be, magnesium. So like, these are things that people still, and then if you went and took their calories awake, it's even harder again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Another one, um, what did we mention so far? Nutrient, nutrient deficiencies. deficiencies. Yeah. Do we mention anything else? No, lack of sustainability. Lack but... of sustainability. There's also a huge increased risk of um, disordered eating or mm. eating disorders, which are different things, but there's a lot of overlap there. Uh, two of the really common ones um, are binge eating, because when we are heavily restricted, we are only human. And eventually if a craving gets the better of us, um, we think to ourselves, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. This is the one only time I'm going to allow myself to do it. And so we fall into um, what's called the forbidden food effect. And we consume these quote unquote forbidden foods and we binge on them. And we feel shame and guilt. We feel like a failure. Mm. And what we do in order to, um, I don't know, damage control from there, I suppose, is we heavily restrict even further because we think, oh, no, I've overeaten. Now I'm going to undereat. And restriction was the reason you binged in the first place. So we enter this restriction, binge, shame cycle, restriction, Mm. binge, shame cycle. Yeah, it it is scary. Um, Orthorexia is another one that's uh, essentially somebody's obsession with only eating good or clean foods and also a lot of anxiety around the harm caused if you're to eat bad or unhealthy food Mm -hmm. can also come with feelings of superiority Um, or you can even attach yourself to these food groups if I eat good food I am good I am worthy I am lovable if I eat bad food I'm a piece of shit Mm. or people who eat bad food are pieces of shit Mm. that is very disordered thinking around food Um, and it can also lead to not necessarily just orthorexia, but extreme diets and orthorexia too. Um, social isolation, like the breakdown of some relationships because you can't just go out for cocktails with your girlfriends. Mm. So you might want to miss out on group dinners because the foods are not clean there or I don't know, you, you have, you're worried about losing control at dinner or something like that. Mm. This all just sounds like the eradication of fun to me. <laughs> and like, yeah. I mean, you could go down the neurochemistry route and discuss like, maybe they're missing out on these dopamine feel good hits all the time now because they're not enjoying their food. They're not having friendships. They're not having social outings. So then what do they do? They seek something that gives them extreme pleasure. EG Tim Tams. Hmm. They overabundantly just freaking hammer that shit until that surge is main hit. And then again, then there's the sort of the deficit that comes thereafter. And like all they're doing is trying to seek some form of satisfaction. Mm but it's self-inflicted. And then, like you said, this is a, like a cycle and it's real scary. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we can be in situations where we're exerting high levels of cognitive restraint around food. Maybe your partner or your housemate or whatever has these quote unquote bad foods around and you're always using your flexing your willpower to stay away from them, but you do end up eating them some or a lot of the time. And therefore weight gain occurs because you put yourself in a calorie surplus Mm. that's a terrible situation to be in because you have shame around this food you are using high levels of cognitive restraint a lot of effort but you're still gaining weight wouldn't it be better if we took away some of the restriction made this 
uh, calorically dense food less tempting and had it more often. Mm. That would be the best place to be. And you can still be in a moderate, a small, moderate, kind of large-ish deficit uh, and lose weight, enjoy some food. And wouldn't we rather that than give ourselves an eating disorder? Yeah, and this is the part of this, you know, creating the sustainable transformation aspect of the better bodies that we've really, really focused on in that we're talking about behavior and habit change and all that kind of mm. stuff. Because, I mean, we're going to talk about me as an example, as an extreme dieter currently in the contest preparation for a bodybuilding show. But, I mean, in this house here, we have Tim Tams. Well, actually, we have, we have penguins. Well, yeah, which I, is the English didn't want to confuse the Australians. Um, <laughs> the inferior version. Yeah, they yeah. are. Tim Tams are better than penguins. We have various blocks of chocolate in here. Some of them are dark, the ones that I eat. Some of them are a little bit less dark, the ones that you eat. I eat 70%. You know? need, what, 90%? Yeah, I mean, you had some pistachio cake in the fridge. There's always something That's around good. that I would find extremely enjoyable. <laughs> but even though I'm currently in a state of extreme dieting, I'm still not completely eradicating or severely restricting my food type choices, mm. which is one of those two parts we talked about. You know, like my calorie restriction, we could probably argue is extreme. Mm-hmm. My um, uh, food type? No, well, my, my requirements to be extremely accurate in my eating is definitely extreme. Right. You have but to my weigh food everything. types are actually fairly good. Well, you, you choose know? not to be too flexible with your food types, right? Because because of the well, because, staircase of dieting and because I've, I've i've written myself a diet that i find palatable enough that i really enjoy but not so palatable that i want to continue to eat more of it mm-hmm. you know you know it's kind of like not this, triggering yeah like you know i have a particular dark chocolate that i quite like and then when i walk past the aisle in the in the supermarket i'm like oh maybe i'll get this dark chocolate and then i think do i need to create more flavor no yeah am i happy with what i consume yes don't do that to yourself. Yeah. You know, but we'll probably get to yeah, me later on. Well, yeah, let's talk about why it's okay that you're doing an extreme diet right now. Uh, because it's a short-lived diet designed to get me a very particular extreme body composition goal yeah. that I have no intention of maintaining afterwards. No, so Dean's hopping on a bodybuilding stage. He's going to get as lean as he physically can without dying mm. for a day. Well, actually, you're doing two shows, which are yeah. very close together. And we're sitting on this couch because of it, because my bum hurts because there's no fat left on it. <laughs> you know, we can no longer sit on hard seats to do podcasts. No, poor Dean. It's all right. I have enough butt fat for the both of us. <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, so if Dean was wanting to maintain his level of uh, body fat, well, firstly, you just wouldn't maintain that low because it's super unhealthy and your life would be unenjoyable. But, you know, you wouldn't be going about it the way that you're going about it because you can't maintain the habits. No, I'm dialing up the extremity on everything, right? Like yeah. my food accuracy is extreme. My food type control is extreme to a certain extent. My calorie restriction is extreme. My attention to output is extreme. My attention to performance in the gym is extreme. Even my attention to ensuring I get sleep and, and I'm sufficiently hydrated is extreme. Yep. Every aspect that goes into managing the, the energy balance equation of what I eat versus what I burn is extreme. There's no way somebody can maintain that forever. There's no, no way. No. no. Not to have a life. Like I definitely lose you. I wouldn't stick around. And I wouldn't want you to. <laughs> this isn't a life for a partner. Unless, of course, they are boring. <laughs> I don't want to offend people's partners that enjoy it. No, um, I say that obviously with a bias because Liz and I are foodies and adventurers and we like to get out and about and check things. And Liz is very spontaneous. So, like, it, it would be a poor choice on our behalf as a couple um, to try and live this lifestyle forever. Yeah, but like, it's not so dichotomous. Like we have to choose between being in shape and doing something extreme and having a fun life and being out of shape. That's not what we're saying. 
I consider myself in shape 52 weeks of the year, mm. but I'm just not extremely lean. I am a healthy body fat, what, maybe like 16%, something yeah. like that. I don't know. Um, and I do that by, yes, I can be spontaneous, but if we end up at a cafe, I'm going to get grilled chicken instead of fried chicken and I'll just get it in a bowl without the bun, sauce on the side. I'll just make adjustments. Mm. I um, will plan ahead. I'll, I'll bring my food sometimes. But if it's inappropriate to bring food like a group dinner, I'll just make the best choice that I can when I'm there. There's a lot of gray area that we can exist within without being extreme and choosing between what Dean's doing and being out of shape. Yeah. But to tidy up, I suppose, this discussion around like when is an extreme diet okay? One, when it has a very specific outcome that requires the extremeness to be put in play, e.g. a bodybuilding show. Yeah. Two, with informed consent, super important, which I think is what a lot of people miss out on. Yeah. So I know exactly what I'm getting into. You know that you're going to put the weight back on after. Yeah. yeah. I know that this is a very goal-driven set of behaviors. I know that at the end of that, I'm going to put weight back on. You also know that as my partner, so you can, you know, tolerate the the severity of the extremity. There's light extreme, at the end of the tunnel. You know, um, there's informed consent. I know exactly what's happening before. And a lot of the problem is, is when people enter these extreme approaches with their blinkers on, because all they see is weight loss as the goal is they don't have informed consent. They're not really aware of how severe it's going to be and they have no like foresight into how to get out of it. Yeah, so as a coach, uh, we comply by the principle of do no harm. If a client comes to us and says, hey, I want to lose 10 kilos, the quickest, easiest way for us to do that is be like, cool, follow these rules. You can never eat out. You'll have to eat at exactly these times, exactly these foods. They are... their relationships will probably suffer. They'll be hungry all the time. Their health might suffer. We will create a lot of harm in the process of getting them to their goal. And so what we want to do is help them get to their goal without creating harm in the process, without, you know, them developing an eating disorder. Um, Or losing friends, family. Yeah, social isolation, Mm -hmm. uh, all of that stuff. We, if there are some necessary harms involved, like they need to make particular sacrifices, there's what Dean mentioned, which is informed consent. We'll say to them, great, you can lose these 10 kilos before your friend's wedding, you know, the short time frame, for example, but it will come with these sacrifices. Do you accept that? Mm. We've done no harm. If any harm has to be done, we've got their consent. Yep. And we're also trying to minimise the harm as much as possible regardless. Yeah, yeah. You know? Always, always. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the awareness of what you're getting into is massive both in the success rate of the extreme diet in that you know exactly what you're doing you can do that for a short period of time bang done successful dieting phase but also in the exit out whereas if you don't have that moment before you start the extreme approach to say i'm aware of what i'm getting myself into i'm aware that when i get to that point there needs to be change but that change can't be just going back to what I did previously. Because then you'll have the body that Then you'll just previously. return back to normal. Yeah. Uh, and I think we we're going to talk about that cycle of how these typically work too, is then you have at least some framework set up to provide you at least the opportunity to then create sustainable transformations. You know, not that we're saying that you should do an extreme diet before a diet phase always. You shouldn't start that way. But should you need it for a particular event mm. or a particular thing, you at least can do it knowing what's going on. Yeah. Uh, one thing we recommend for, I mean, look, we have a f- various method, methods that we use with our clients. Um, one of the methods for people that don't necessarily require 
a high level of accuracy with their calorie intake, um, close enough is good enough for a lot of people, is something called the foundation diet. And that is where uh, they set up the foundations of their diet with uh, non-starchy vegetables. And we use the hand guide from Precision Nutrition. A scooped hand is a serve of veggies. A serve of protein, which is about the thickness and size of your palm. If you're a bigger person, you require more protein. You'll have a bigger palm, so mm-hmm. it kind of works out. Um, and from there, we'll add a carb, which is, um, uh, sorry, vegetables is a fist size. Carbs is a scooped palm. Mm-hmm. Protein is the size and thickness of your palm. And fats is about a thumb size of yep. fats. So that could look like so many different things that could look like a wrap, a stir fry. Um, give me some examples like pasta with lots of veg in the sauce. Yeah, some form of sandwich. It could, it could just be a salad with potatoes mixed into it. Yeah. And you mm. don't have to add the carb. You no, don't have to add, add the fat. It's an option. You know, we definitely would want people to add at least the non-starchy veg, the fruit and the protein. Yeah. But maybe we could say sometimes the other ones are optional. Snacks as a fruit. Mm. Yeah. So if anyone was going to engage in an extreme diet, either because you needed, we don't recommend most people do this, but if you need the weight off really quickly, you could go on some sort of extreme diet, uh, definitely extreme in the calories, not the food restriction. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then go to something like the foundation diet thereafter, because we know that extreme isn't sustainable and going back to old habits will get you your old body back. So you would want to go with something like extreme diet, foundation diet, you know, and then there's some modifications to the foundation diet, like adding in, I don't know, 200, 300 calories a day for you to use at your discretion, a glass of wine, some chocolate, a bit of ice cream, something like that. Um, And how many discretionary calories you have per day will depend on um, how many calories are remaining after the foundation diet. Mm. ends and where your maintenance calories are so that's different for everyone but you know two to three hundred a day is about a ballpark yeah and there would also be the opportunity for individuals in that phase to potentially consider learning how to track macros too that's that's always really helpful because often we go through phases during the month or during the year or emotional phases where we feel hungry and we want to eat more and knowing what foods are high and low in energy density can help us identify what foods we can eat more of without totally screwing the uh, calorie budget. And macro tracking is an awesome tool to figure out what foods keep us full for fewer calories, what foods are triggering, what foods aren't worth it. Um, It can be such an awesome learning process. We just don't want to feel like we have to rely on it forever. We want to be looking at internal cues for hunger and satisfaction, as well as external cues like calorie targets yeah that, like that that is one thing that people mess up because tracking macros 24 7 and weighing food is Harmful. another level of extremity for sure yeah it could you be know? considered disordered eating yeah i mean yeah. You're, you're taking a, a stranglehold on everything completely um and what liz mentioned as quickly then is these internal cues is that a lot of individuals who track macros often started to almost remove their natural ability to determine when they're actually satisfied full hungry it's called introspection yeah mm. because they're just eating to numbers mm-hmm. you know i'm even in the you know for me in the off season i need the numbers because my introspection is is to basically say stop eating because i'm full 
you know, Dean has to eat past his feelings of fullness because he's trying to gain weight above what his body's comfortable sitting at. Yeah. Somebody trying to lose weight might not want to listen to their hunger cues because they need to eat less than their body's telling them to. Yeah, the converse. Yeah, exactly. The inverse of that, sorry, is the other way. You just eat to your full and you've never, ever been in deficit. Mm. But what you also mentioned, which is fantastic, is part of that learning curve of macro tracking concept is that you start to be able to find foods that are either high or low in energy density or high or low in palatability. And you can start to pick and choose, you know, you start to learn. I think like that's where it's been lost a lot is that macro tracking is a tool to teach, not, not necessarily, you know, a system to follow forever. No, you know? Yeah. We don't want to use it as a crutch. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And that can be really helpful because if um, I don't want to be hungry all the time, which I definitely don't. And Dean doesn't want to be stuffed all the time when he's trying to maintain a higher body weight. I would be better off choosing something like mashed pumpkin as my carb for dinner. Dean would be better off having a handful of um, maybe like honey sweetened baked sweet potato. Doesn't that sound good? Why would you do this to me? Sorry. No. Or, Or even like dried fruit, like a handful of dried fruit as a snack. So he's getting heaps of calories for a small volume of food, whereas I'm getting a huge volume of food for small calories. So we're both using macro tracking to suit our appetite and energy needs like where, where that overlaps yeah and then also flavor preferences you know because we mentioned in the podcast before i say this because I mentioned in the podcast before that got canned because of the internet about granola you know oh, like, yeah yeah um and granola's serving size actually being so damn small and part of macro tracking would teach you that although this food it's not has, a swap for cereal no although it has great nutrient density in it like it has some dried fruit maybe it has some like good antioxidant value and some fiber and, and nuts, all this cool shit mm-hmm. uh it's a small serve. It's like a couple of tablespoons for a few hundred calories. It's not much. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's a good, I don't, I'm definitely not going to call it a weight gain food. It's a good choice of food. If you feel, if you feel full all the time, but are also trying to gain weight. I, I put it in calories. my, I put it in my weight gain guys, yoga bowls all the time. Yeah. We, we don't want to encourage the idea that some foods are weight gain foods and some foods are weight loss foods, but perhaps we want to encourage the idea that some foods are more appropriate mm. during a weight gain phase and some foods are more appropriate during the weight loss phase. Yeah. I wouldn't personally eat granola if I'm trying to lose weight because I can't fit. I, I can eat about 1500 calories if I'm trying to lose weight. I can't fit a lot of food in 1500 calories. Yeah. I like that idea of like conditionally appropriate. Yeah. You know? But it doesn't mean that granola is off the table forever. It's just less appropriate during a weight loss phase for me. Mm. That's all. Yeah. 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 So, okay. The take-home points here, would you say it's fair to say that that the less shit tip, how to be less shit, extreme diets suck if you're trying to maintain what you've achieved with the extreme diet? You probably won't. Yeah. (laughs) No, you want to be setting up habits that you can maintain long-term. Yeah. Yeah. An extreme approach is not the answer to a long-term problem. (laughs) That's the sort of... That's the get that got, tattooed on my the arm. pithy, the pithy line. Pithy line. Say it again. What was that? An extreme approach is never the, what did I say? Extreme approach is never the solution to, to a long-term, long-term problem. problem. And if the long-term problem is you've been having issues managing your weight, the answer is not to go to an extreme diet. Yeah. And if you've been overweight for five years, 10 years longer, what's the rush, bro? Yeah. That's the other thing too, right? Is like, Small changes done consistently make massive changes long-term, you know? Yeah, you can lose like a seriously good amount of weight if you are consistent over six months, 12 months, one and a half years. How impressive is that? Like you you don't need to necessarily lose it overnight. 
Yeah, well, um, even if we took like work, like even if we said like, hey, what's the minimum we'd say is like successful weight loss? 100 grams a week, right? Well, it's pretty low. Call, call it a percentage of body weight, half a percent of body weight per week. Yeah. So like an average human in in Australia, around the world, 80 to 100 kilos. Uh, I think the average would be like 70 to 80. There's okay. lots of Asians in the world and Asians yeah. are typically smaller people. Yeah. Um, so even if I say if it was 70, you mm-hmm. know, and they want to lose that half percent. We're 350 grams, grams a week you know? is half a percent. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still 15 kilos a year. Fuck. And if they can maintain 15 kilos a year, they are. Well, now they're 55 kilos and underweight. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, true. we're talking like less than 12 months worth of work. Hmm. Um, and the cool thing too about not going the extreme approach is you can take the behavior approach, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and what I mean by that is like, instead of it being just all about restriction, it's all about trying to find behaviors that set you up for the opportunity for success, you know. Um, the reason why I don't go for the chocolate that you have is because I have behaviors set up for success. I'm not having to, like you said, flex my willpower anymore. Because mm-hmm. it's not about willpower for me. It's about, you know, habits. Me, me as an individual seems so that I am an athlete who does X for this reason. You know? Identity. Yeah. 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 I like it. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys have found value in this episode. Um, but if you haven't, we're about to rock your socks with some funny shit. Are we? But no. before we do that, shall I mention that if you found value in this, and you do want to learn about macro tracking or be supported further, I have developed a macro tracking mini course, which you can find off our website. It's just 16 short video lessons that teaches you everything you need to know to track with ease and accuracy because it's not enough to get out my fitness pal and punch in like white bread, one banana. The the, the searchable database in my fitness pal uh, will give you 20 different options for banana, five of which may be correct, but how do you know which one is correct? Yeah, it's about as Um, accurate as the line I've heard from somebody saying... um, you should see the size of my tablespoon when I go to the shops when I'm hungry versus when I when I go when I'm full. Right, exactly. Like One that. tablespoon of peanut butter. <laughs> what is that? Like, is, is it heaped? Is it yeah. flat? Yeah. So anyways, it, it teaches you how to track macros when you eat out. What about alcohol? All sorts of things. Um, but if you wanted to be supported in different ways, like learning about mindset and motivation, hunger and cravings management. Being a part of a community. Yeah, we have the Better Bodies program. You can join it at any time. It'll take about 12 weeks to get through. We have live calls um you will love it it's on-demand video lessons so you can listen to the lessons at a time that suits you mm-hmm. and you have access to all the flex coaches you can ask questions on the video lessons yep um and then there's also the opportunity to stay on in that too for oh, being a part of the live call 12 weeks yep. yeah once you get through the content you can keep the content uh if you want to stay on board and then you can be a part of the calls it's awesome mm-hmm. check it out from our website better bodies whatever that means to you yeah uh something we'll share something that you've got one yeah, I went for a walk this morning by myself instead of with you. Yes. Not because I don't have a choice. And choose, choice. <laughs> it's just the way it worked out. Usually Liz and I go for a walk in the morning together. But um, I was back on the Freakonomics podcast. Oh, yeah. And I thought it'd be nice just to share something that's non-fitness related, but is a great podcast. Okay. As somebody who um, previously would have said economics is boring and I don't know anything about it, nor do I want to read about it, having then read the books that you had, uh, Freakonomics and I Super Freakonomics. Freakonomics. What's the other one? There's three, right? There's Freakonomics, Super Freakonomics, and Think Like a Freak. Think Like a Freak. All um, equally as awesome. Yeah, check that podcast out. It's done differently to most podcasts. It's super cool. The host also has a sister podcast called No Bad Questions, No Dumb Questions, yeah. something like that. Stephen Dubner. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. So that would be my something you want to share. Can I share something to you then? For sure. I'm currently reading a book right now called Against Empathy, and it is arguing that empathy as a guide for moral decision-making is overrated. 
mm-hmm. and can sometimes lead us to making morally the wrong decision. Is this why psychopaths are typically CEOs? <laughs> oh, so I, I did read this book, which I also love, called The Wisdom of Psychopaths that did speak about, um, you know, the benefits of being a psychopath because you usually, usually calm under pressure can make cutthroat decisions without feeling bad, blah, 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 which is why there's a higher percentage of psychopaths in positions of power, mm. like CEOs. Um, Presidents. Than, yeah, yeah, lawyers, <laughs> policemen, than, um, you know, like nurses, for example. But this book is kind of in contrast to that. It's, I, I, I don't know, I need to sit on it before I have make a decision here about what I'm really thinking. But it talks about that, you know, psychopaths don't, can't necessarily don't necessarily lack empathy it's not that they can't feel what the other person's feeling it's that they just don't care um it's not that they lack empathy which is what the wisdom of psychopaths was arguing it's that they lack compassion and actually a good psychopath can put themselves in another person's shoes one of the um I don't know, like determining factors or characteristics of a psychopath is that they can read people so well. They can tell who's fearful, who's confident, who who a good victim might be. And they do that through actually having high levels of empathy, but low levels of compassion. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not, I haven't actually um, said this out aloud yet. So that might've come out as a bit of a model, but. um, No, that was very clear and also mm -hmm. quite concerning. It's very, it's very concerning. <laughs> like, I think people already associate the word psychopath with somebody they don't necessarily want to associate with. Honestly, there's psychopaths <sighs> everywhere. Once you read yeah. the wisdom of psychopaths, you can be identify them in your life. It might be your uncle or but to think someone that you've worked with. And they're not always violent. Either. No, no, that is, I think, one misconception. They can be social psychopaths. But to think that they're either consciously or even like autonomously, like without even knowing it, they just have the ability. Automatically? Yeah, yeah automatically. But have the ability to read acknowledge whether or not empathy is good to use now or not, and then they just choose not to because they don't care. Whoa, See, that's brutal. Or, so the uh, Against Empathy, this book, it was saying exactly that. Um, another characteristic of a psychopath is that they're typically quite charming and they can read, you know, somebody's humour and, and turn on the charms mm. and be empathetic that way and then turn it off when they're murdering and raping someone. Yeah, or wow. firing them or doing whatever they are that they're doing to them. Mm. Um, and it's it it made me quite fearful to walk down the street <laughs> if I wasn't scared enough already. You know, like, I don't know if I want to make new friends. I just, yeah, I don't know. Did it make you think of anyone you know? I definitely know that my ex-boyfriend is a psychopath. Like, mm. I, there's somebody I else, my life on there's somebody else we know that we just talked about that and I'm like, that's their behaviour over and over and over and over Can you over say again. it on the podcast? Absolutely not. No? No. <laughs> No, but yeah, wow. Tell me after the podcast. Alarming. Yeah. Donald Trump's definitely one. Yeah. Because they're they're usually narcissists as well. Uh, Don't accept blame. Mm. But anyways, this isn't about psychopaths, so we'll move on. That's cool something we're sharing. All right. (laughs) Would you rather, Liz? You ready? Mm. Would you rather? Yes. I'm reading this one, so don't fuck it up. Because the last time I tried to do this off cuff, do you remember how bad it was? Yes, I do. (laughs) Only be able to wipe four times post-poo for six months. Okay. Or dribble about 20 mils of pee post peeing every time for 12 months like off uh, like when i pull my pants up after yep. a pee and dribble another 20 mils into my underwear. yeah for 12 months every time you pee 20 mils is quite a lot yeah or you only get four wipes regardless can i use water on the wipes four wipes of yeah any description like you can you can dab with the water in the the paper if you want look up bristol stool chart guys 
Bristol stool three is where I'm at most of the time. I think I have very healthy poos and four wipes is sufficient for me. Oh, but what about that one time you don't? Well, if I can use water, I feel like I wouldn't even need four. I do so many ghost poos. Mm. I don't even know if water would make it better or worse. I think it would make it better. But you might tear the paper and then you're going to have like weird paper bum. Look, See, um, as a girl, you're lucky you don't have hair in your bum. The water, <laughs> the water to a paper toilet is not good for a dude with hair there. Mm. You end up tearing that paper. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going with four wipes is my choice. All right. Um, and look, if anybody. So I can't call you dribble pants anymore. No, no. That's a lot. Like 20 mils every time I pee. I pee a lot. I nearly made it 30. And then I thought of a shot glass and I thought, oh, that's very wet undies. <laughs> So I went with 20. I backed it off 20, but I didn't want to go all the way to 10 because I thought it wasn't sufficient enough to offset the potential poop pants. Four wipes is where I'm at. Mm. All right. If you listen to this podcast, take a screenshot, share it. Tell us what you'd go for. A, 20 only, mils? only four wipes. Oh, no, yeah. Only four, four wipes. wipes no matter what. So if you got diarrhea, you get four goes at it. <laughs> and it's not a back front swipe. It's a single single wipe. Uh-huh. Uh, or would you just go for the dribble? Okay. Should, we, should we drop it to 10 mil? Uh, I think 10 mil. 10 so mil. I think no one's going to choose okay. 20 mils. A, a 10 mil post pee dribble in your panties. Okay. I just want to so say. So you go four wipes or 10 mils? Panties is a shit word, though. Take a screenshot, tag flex, tag mm. your answer. Four wipes, 10 mils. <laughs> what do you think people are going to go for? I'm I'd, still choosing four wipes over 10 mils, by the I'd way. I'd go 10 mil. Yeah? Yeah. Because you're a healthy pooper too? No, I said I'd go 10 mil. Oh, sorry. Other way around. Would you? Yeah. Oof. Four makes me nervous. But how many peas do you do? I reckon I pee like 10 times a day. Oh, shit. If I did it right now, I'd be fucked. That's 100 I mils. pee every two hours at night time. Yeah. That's... Which is a symptom of Dean's extreme diet. Yeah. Way. See, it's not good. It's, it messes your sleep up, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Look, four just makes me very nervous and I don't want to have a pooey bum. <laughs> and men will, will back me up on this. With an external gland, it typically has a little bit of extra left in it. After you're done, we're peeing. talking about the butthole. No, we're talking about the penis. Oh, who didn't have an external butthole? Exactly. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a. I don't have a um a prolapse a nose. Um, there's always sometimes a little bit there, so you got to be a bit cautious. You got to take your time, make sure it's all out. You know, okay. give it a good siphon. I feel like you really thought about this. And men will, I mean, shit. I get checking photos from guys a lot, and there's often a dribble. Is there? Yeah. How embarrassing. This is why you shouldn't wear grey underwear, man. Put an emoji of your Alex dick. Connors. Stop wearing grey underwear in the fucking gym. Why? No one wants to see your helmet. But is Alex walking around the gym in his underwear? No, but he'll pose in them. <laughs> and any guy that is a client of mine, don't send me pictures in grey undies. I don't want to see the outline of your penis. Do you, do you say anything to them? Absolutely. I tell them all the time. Do you? So and they I, still do it. I have a no grey undie rule. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shit colour. That's so funny. Hmm. Anyway. Um, on that note, guys, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends. I don't know, comment. Give us six out of five rate. stars. Six out of five stars, yeah. nothing below. <laughs> yeah, all that good stuff. We appreciate the support. Thank you for listening. And if uh, you have any questions, as always, just reach out to us. Yeah, we will be in England for another three months. So you will be hearing from our beanied heads for a little while longer. And I'm progressively just going to get more dick-like. Skin, that is. No, as an as a personality. Your attitude more dick-like? All of it. Or I'm going to become... As a, lean as a I'm penis? becoming a penis, guys. <laughs> is that your goal? Yeah. And what's your beard, the pubic hair? Oh, yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Beard stays. That's funny. All right. Unless you are the leanness of a dick, it's not been a successful cut. Team translucent skin. (laughs) All right. Until the next one. Peace.